Welcome to the Speech Uncensored podcast, your one-stop shop for all things medical speech and language pathology related. I'm Leanne, your host, and in today's episode, we're very fortunate to have Tipa Snow on to talk about positive approach to care for patients with dementia. Um, Tipa's done a ton of work in this area and now currently provides loads of seminars, direct in-services for teaching, um, employees, therapists, and caregivers um, best approaches to working with our patients who also experience dementia. So she gives loads of great advice and helpful information, and then of course in the show notes, tons more, tons more access to all of Tipa's stuff um, so that you can learn more. And without further ado, here is Tipa. All right. Well, thank you again so much for agreeing to um, come on this podcast and just um, sure. talk about your work because it it's awesome. It's really exciting. Thanks. Yeah, it's a little different than most of the work that's out there, I think, in dementia in that it's practical, hands-on, real-time kind of guidance and assistance. Yes, yes. And that's that's what I'm drawn to. And I think that's what we need. And just across the board, period. Not just because it sounds cool or it looks good or it has good results. I mean, all those things are nice too, but that's just what we should be doing with people who are people. Yeah, I'm pretty much, you know, I talk about it as though it's dementia is something really incredibly different. And actually it's sort of, that's my opinion of how we should be interacting with each other. It just works better that way if we put our effort into it. But, yeah. you know, it's hard work. So a lot of people are like, well, I only want to do it when I'm at work. It's like, okay, <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> All right, Tipa. So I didn't, I don't know if you had something like a specific, like, spiel that you wanted to give. Um, but if you want to start with just kind of giving a brief background of you um, for our listening audience that is made up mostly of speech and language pathologists, and I know that sure. you're um, by trade an occupational therapist. I am. I am an occupational therapist. So I'm Tipa Snow, and I have been an occupational therapist for about 40 years now, and I have had the good fortune to work in many interdisciplinary teams. And I have a background that's pretty broad, everything from developmental disabilities and autism through head injury, stroke rehab, neuro. I worked at the VA Medical Center with a variety of conditions, obviously acute as well as rehab, Uh, long-term care, hospice, home care. I was the education director for the Alzheimer's Association in North Carolina for many years, ran an OTA program, um, and then eventually ended up pretty much focusing in on dementia and have for the past hmm, 10 years now done work all over the US, Canada, and around other countries as well, trying to help people wrap their heads around what is this thing and how do you provide support and help when somebody has it. Excellent. And so in that process, you have fine-tuned it into what you call PACS or positive approach to care. Correct. So one of the things that I found out very early in the world of dementia is there's a lot of talk about deterioration and loss and inability. But frankly, I mean, all we can use is what people have left. And what we want to figure out is, okay, so what's missing, what still works, and how do I support what still works? Yes. Um, And I think all too often what we 
focus in on is, oh, he, they can't do this, they can't do that. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, that's true. So what can they do? Well, they they can walk around and it's like, okay, well, how do you use walking around to your advantage? They can see, but they don't see like they used to see. And okay, so how do you take that into account and build programming? Um, they can use rhythm, but they can't use words like they used to. How do you use rhythm then to provide support and communicate? Eventually. So that's how it works. (laughs) Excellent. Um, So I was looking into it and you kind of break it down into like some um, core values and that you focus on relationships based on authenticity, empowerment, compassion, and curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Because frankly, um, the reason we try to have communication or interactions with each other is because we want the other person to get something or we want to give the other person something. And of course, with speech and language, you know, the usual history for care providers is we ask a question. So are you ready to take your shower? Well, the challenge comes when they're losing vocabulary, they're missing comprehension, but they keep rhythm. And so they hear, I mean, hang on, how? And then I nod my head and the cueing all says, I'm being friendly. This is a, a social chit chat conversations. So the person goes, oh, okay. And the care provider then thinks that means, okay, well, that they're okay with me taking their shirt off because they're said they're ready for a shower. And it's like, okay, well, now here's going to be a major problem because the person yeah. on the other end of that communication had no idea. They, um, yeah, they didn't recognize they what they were agreeing to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we're really big on uh, visual, then verbal, then touch, and that you never touch until you first give a visual indicator of what I want to do. I make sure that I accompany that with a little bit of a verbal message. And then when I get those matching, then I can add touch. But I can't do touching until I get the first two connected. And then after that, that's when you can possibly do touch. Okay, good. And going back to your shower analogy, how would you use a visual to support that? So what I might do, we always position ourselves not directly in front of the person. Our body is in what we call supportive stance. So it's 90 degrees on the preferred side of the individual, usually the right-hand side, because it turns out 90% of all humans are right-side dominant. So that works out pretty well. And what we'll do is we turn our head or our face to that individual. So for instance, if I were working with you, I'd be turned somewhat like this. And I'd say, oh, time to wash up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, okay. Ugh. All right. Good. So with a thumb motion, it's like, uh-huh or no. Yeah. A thumbs up or a thumbs down. And yeah. then just prior to that, you were doing um, like washing signs as if washing under armpits and around torso. Right, exactly. And I usually start with upper body because that's, and not just your face, because that's a whole different message. So I mm-hmm. start with a part of the body that, you know, when you, you do this movement, people are like, oh, you're talking about washing up. Well, yeah. yeah. And so that's the message. Are we okay to do that? Mm-hmm. And then what I might have to signal is touch the front of my shirt and then signal to their shirt. And then I may do arm motions up like you're pulling off your shirt. Because again, the other reality with dementia is sequencing Mm -hmm. gets messed Mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. And so even though somebody goes, oh, okay, that doesn't mean they know the first step is going to be take your clothing off. So this whole thing is this dance we're doing, this permission and okay. And when I do it, the person, if they have hand capacity, they don't need me taking their shirt off. 
they just needed the cue to do it. Now, if they don't have the finger skill, then I can use what we call hand under hand, which is a guided assist in the palm of the hand, which allows me to use my skill fingers, my thumb, me index, and the middle finger as my manipulators, put it inside their hand. And then as I start the movement, most people go, oh, oh, take off the shirt. Oh, okay. And even if they haven't gotten the message by then, their hands go into the action pattern mm -hmm. because what I did is I triggered the motor memory yes, of which taking is off a shirt. More preserved in folks with dementia as it progresses than the episodic and semantic memory. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we've gotten rid of a lot of the barriers. And so the tricky part is when somebody does have language, does do they have both receptive and expressive in equal in equal proportions because there are some dementias where one is much more impacted than the other mm -hmm. yeah. and helping people appreciate that because, well, she knows what I said. And it's like, uh, how to tell me how you know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I like how you mentioned your hand under hand. Mm -hmm. um, and can you talk a little bit more about that? Like in regards to uh, meal times, perhaps? Yeah. So one of the very traditional techniques that we've had is when people are recovering from neurological damage or they don't get a task. One of the things we've done before is called hand over where I wrap my hand around the outside of someone's hand to guide them through the motion. But it turns out for people who have um, neurological deficits like dementia, putting your hand on the backside of their hand actually causes them to want to release or get away. It's, mm. it's, it's not a natural tendency to have somebody wrapped on the back of your hand. Mm -hmm. And where when you're just helping someone who has cognitive intactness learn, re, learn to reuse a limb after um, having had surgery or something, that would be very different. But now we're talking about the impulse to make you get off my hand is overwhelming me. So I'm not actually working on the bring the hand to the mouth business. So you put your hand, so it's right hand to right, palm to palm, but you leave your fingers free and their fingers free. So what you're able to do is hold the utensil for them for a couple of bites until their brain, again, latches onto the motor memory. And then it's like, oh, 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 yeah. Or with somebody who has significant tremors, you can place them on your forearm and then they get the movement. So their brain does the take a bite, swallow, take a bite, swallow. Mm -hmm. And so it, number one, reduces res resistance to care um, and refusals, but it also tends to improve the quality of the hand to mouth swallow mechanism mm -hmm. because it's our hand coming up often that triggers the swallow. So when your hand gets there, you're ready for another bite. Mm -hmm. And so that rhythm of the hand coming up is a real powerful one. And so people who have the ability often say, oh, this is good. And they didn't even realize what they were missing was their own hand coming to their mouth because people took over. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love that. All right. Um, oh, another um, thing I wanted you to hit on, too, was um, the changes to vision, because I do think that sometimes yeah. SLPs um, don't get that very clear cut information. Yeah. So one of the things people do talk about is uh, visual recognition and, and we get that part. But what we're missing is a vision is really complicated and it you have to take in a lot of data 
second after second after second. And the problem is when my brain is dying, it's hard to take in that much data. And so my brain will make a choice. I'll keep the middle field, the center field of vision, because that's where all the detail really can come in. And I'll give up some of the peripheral so I can keep the center. So it's sort of like glaucoma, only not. I mean, it's not actual cell death around the eye. So you could conceivably look. The problem is you just can't handle all the incoming data. And so early in the disease, best estimates are people, it's like you're wearing a scuba mask. And then in the middle of the disease, it's like you have on binoculars. And then what happens next is that's when you lose your object to use recognition. So you still have binocular vision, but you're not sure if that's a spoon which end of the spoon do I use? Is it a, is it a fork or a comb? And so I start making misjudgments about how to use objects or how to, what to do with objects. And this is where often we'll see people sit at a a table and take milk and pour it into their mashed potatoes or Mm -hmm. use a fork to try to eat soup or uh, hold the fork in one hand while they eat with their fingers Mm -hmm. because it's sort of out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. And even though they have the utensil in their hand, the food's there. And so they just reach with the other hand rather than taking and putting down what they have. And then finally, we end up with the inability to integrate two images, two visual images, because of the changes in the optic tract, the chasm and all that. It's just coming apart. And so what ends up happening is people actually become monocular. And so they lose depth perception. They use lose the ability to track objects as they move. They uh, can't judge distance. They can't um, see and plan for an object coming toward them or in reaching. They can't judge how far away it is. So the risk of falls and dropping and misplacing objects and not being able to understand and using your hand to compensate. So it means I touch a lot more. Um, every time I want to look at something, my hand comes out so I can investigate it, which many people find offensive. And it's, it's just me trying to figure out what is that? How do I, and I use my hand to help my eyes make sense of something, but I just can't put all the puzzle pieces together. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And, um, some strategies I've heard is just increasing, light, just making brighter lights using brighter bulbs, um, and having contrast. So like Mm -hmm. if it's a a table that has a white or a a very pale surface and your plates are white, changing up the color of the plates or putting a placemat down. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So some people recommend red plates for high contrast Mm -hmm. with food. And then others of us are like, well, it depends on what you're serving. So if you're serving spaghetti, then (laughs) try a blue plate because Mm -hmm. that's going to give you better contrast, but reducing the amount of stuff on the table, Mm. um, because you're asking me to sort from among all these objects and to make a decision about what gets done with what to what. So if I have a whole set of silverware out there, um, I have to choose, I have to make a prefrontal decision about which utensil to use. Mm-hmm. And then I have to look and see for what. And then I have to remember where the utensils are. And then I've got to look back at the utensils, find the one I want, pick it up, and then recall what was it I was going to do with this. From the very beginning. <laughs> and so everything gets more and more complicated. It also means I may need monitoring for bite, 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 drink, bite, 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 drink. Or what happens is I eat, I eat, I eat, and I don't cleanse my mouth. I don't pause and use fluids because 
I'm into the rhythm of the eating, not the fluids. So, I mean, there's lots of pieces to it as yes. well, because I just don't notice things like I should with my vision. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. Um, the next uh, point that I was hoping you could go over was your GEMS <laughs> model. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the original model that was out a good long while ago was early, middle, late. And that was used by the Alzheimer's Association. And it, it really was talking about early symptoms, middle of the disease symptoms and late symptoms. And that early people would need um, some guidance and some monitoring. In the middle, they would need supervision pretty much 24 seven. And at the later stages, they would actually need physical assist for things. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Dr. Reisberg came around with global deterioration. And he was trying to help physicians and clinicians notice when people would need support. And his seven point scale is sort of interesting in that the first three point one, two, and three are all considered non-dementia. Four, five, six, seven are the dementia scale uh, areas. And so it's sort of interesting. You could be down with three and not have dementia. And yet when people think three, they're like, oh, my heavens, I'm a three versus a one. Um, and it's written in a very interesting sort of medical way, which talks hippocampal instead of brain change as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, so instead, I went to Allen levels, which was Claudia Allen and cognitive disability, which was used with this um, cognitive disability with uh, people with developmental disabilities and uh, mental health issues. And it was a six point scale, but it really looked more at what are retained abilities, what are lost abilities, what are cues that could be helpful and what kind of environmental setting would be recommended and what kind of interests would be preserved. And so I like that in that it more focused on what's remaining and how do you help. The challenge is in dementia, there's nothing static. Um, nothing is stable, not from second to second or day to day or morning to night or week to week. So the idea that I could um, tell someone that they'll be safe if you set them up in this environment with this support, it's like, well, that's not how dementia works. You can slip slide from place to place within a 15 minute period of time, depending on how your brain is doing and how much chemistry you have and what the demands of the task are. Mm -hmm. So I decided we needed something that was positive. We needed to talk in this, this about this in terms of something other than mild deterioration, moderate deterioration. Yes. You're, you're cognitively deteriorating. You're in mid-stage loss. I mean, and we needed some way being in a moment. And so I thought, okay, well, gems are positive. So if I use the six point scale, but instead of stages or levels, it's states. So I could be in a diamond state or an emerald state or an amber, ruby, pearl, or maybe if on a good moment, a sapphire. Mm -hmm. So I picked gems that had um, a characteristic and a color that would trigger sort of thinking for people because language is powerful. Yes. And so um, diamonds are clear, but they're rigid and inflexible. They have lots of facets, but it's hard to get new stuff in there, but they can shine and yes. they can cut you. Um, <laughs> yes, I love it. So, 
So, I mean, they can be absolutely lovely, but they can also be hard to work with because they can't get the new thing in there. And you just got to You got to use their habits and routines. And if you're going to introduce change, you better get ready. It's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas emeralds are green and on the go, but they're not always sure where or when. But for sure, there's color. I mean, you're you're going, but they may be going back in time or to another place. Um, they may complete something and then turn around and complete it again because they get stuck in loops. Mm. Um, so they're flawed but they may or may not know they're flawed. So providing support means you need to be able to go with their flow and then figure out how to help them get to a good place. Um, Ambers are caught in a moment of time. And those are the kind of folks that are very sensory driven, sensory need and sensory intolerance, but they have no safety awareness. So -hmm. you better use caution. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Amber is something that it's caught in time. That's where you see insects stuck in Amber because they got caught. Oh, good. Um, yeah. So, and it's very malleable. So it changes from, from time to time very quickly. Whereas the other gems, they're, you know, they're more faceted and rigid, but not these ambers, man. They, they can change in a heart. <laughs> so I go from liking something to not wanting you to do it at all. And it's like, okay, well, that was quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is all about my sensory likes and my sensory dislikes and my sensory needs and my sensory intolerance. So we need to really be tuned into it because there won't be any safety awareness with that. Yeah. And then the rubies are red because fine motor stops, but strength continues and rhythm continues. And so with rubies, if I'm on the go, I don't know how to stop. And if I'm stopped, I don't know how to get going. Um, But I don't have fine motor in my mouth or my eyes or my fingers or my feet um, Mm. or the microcirculation or the control over my urine and my feces. I mean, I just can't control things like temperatures and things. So once I get going, I can get really hot, but trying to take clothing off to cool me down, I don't understand what you're trying to do. And I am strong, Mm. Um, but I can also sing and dance and people miss that. Um, And then finally, the pearl is trapped in a shell and that's the body at the end of the disease. And it's really ugly. Um, and it's an oyster shell. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we keep missing is the important parts inside. And it can only open and relax when the reflexes relax. And that means it has to feel safe and comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that what's out there is worth opening for. Oh, I love it. That is so, it's so well thought out. And you, you just know this so intuitively, and I'm sure you teach it so often, like it's just in you and you just flew with it. I'm like sitting here, like with the paper that I printed out today. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like verbatim. She is good. (laughs) (laughs) I do do it a lot, but I also have to figure out how to help people get their heads around this thing. So they'll let go of the thing that doesn't work. Yes, yes. And I really do appreciate that's what I've struggled with in working with patients and caregivers or care partners mm-hmm. with this is I don't like the terminology that I have. It yeah. it feels demeaning and a little bit degrading and it makes me uncomfortable. And so yeah. that's one of my favorite parts is that you're just reshaping how we talk about it and the language that we use and that you're you're right, language is powerful and it, it can really mean is. a lot to people. Yeah. And what's really fun with the gems is it's not about dementia. It's about us. So, I mean, I, for instance, when I'm sleeping, if you were to interact with me, I'd be very pearl like, (laughs) I mean, and yet when I'm exhausted and I don't want to do anything, I go out and I will keep working and I don't want to mess. I don't want anybody to mess with me. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be messed with. I just want to do what I want to do, even if it's not particularly I'm not very skillful at at that moment because I'm just I just want to do it or leave me be. Mm-hmm. And we all have these moments, but when you have dementia, you don't get to come back. And that's 
that's the part that people, you know, there are moments when I might appear for just a minute. There's just that moment where the shell opens and look, I'm in there Mm -hmm. and then I'm gone again because I can't stay. And Mm -hmm. it's not that I'm Tipa as I am now. I'm Tipa as I am as a pearl. And that moment of acknowledgement and recognition, you only get if you're there when I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. Thank you. All right. Um, just a few more questions. I was wondering um, if there was something specific that you would want to tell or have every SLP um, know who works with yeah. a person with dementia. Like what would be like the one thing you would just want every clinician to know? Um, I think probably that helping staff and families learn how to use what remains in a flexible way is not Medicare approved or reimbursed. And yet it's one of the most powerful things you can do. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard because most folks are using Medicare reimbursement as a payment source. Mm -hmm. And you SLPs are so much more than Medicare reimbursement. And it's really hard to watch the boxes that we're forcing people into when there is so much more potential for people to be effective and helpful. Um, The whole other side of the street for SLP is the idea of swallowing and chewing and eating and helping people get more prepared for the end of dementia. Yes. With more than thickened liquids. I mean, that's not where we're headed. Yes. And to really consider the possibility that the conversation we need to have is, you know, the protein intake is way down and I know we're working on it, but I'm also starting to see big muscle wasting Mm -hmm. and the albumin levels dropping. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if we should have a really good conversation about what people had said about themselves and what they want for comfort and connection. Mm -hmm rather than eating and drinking and nourishment and hydration. Um, And I think speech and language should be much more a part of that conversation based on what I've told people I want in advance and helping my family and and the staff get back to that place of what is it TIPA wanted, Mm -hmm. not what are we trying to do, um, which is get her to take another bite and another bite and another bite and another bite. Yeah, I think that's conversations that um, family members need to have early on in the progression of knowing, you know, as my body shuts down, it's, it doesn't want that food. It doesn't want that nourishment anymore. My body is in the process of dying. Yeah, I don't need it. I don't want it. I'm not, not, I'm not dying because I'm not eating. I'm not eating because I'm in my dying state and it takes a while. So Mm -hmm. I just need you to give me time to let go of living. Yeah. And I think all of us um, as, as family members, maybe with somebody um, who's mm-hmm. experiencing dementia and as the care providers and, and people who yep. partner with them, it we need to become more comfortable with that. And it is, it's very uncomfortable idea to be like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to sit back and let you starve now. But we have to understand yep. Yep. how nope. the body is, is yeah. Yeah. moving on essentially. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so sometimes one of 
the ways I'll help have people transition, I'll say, well, what we're working on now are tastes and textures. So if they're interested in a taste or a texture, that's what we're doing. Other than that, we're looking at comfort in the mouth. And so dried lips are uncomfortable, so we don't want them hard. So let's see what we can do with that. Um, making sure that the cavity is not dried out and cracking and uncomfortable. That's important. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Beyond that, we're going to move in a different direction and, and having those being open to those conversations rather than being getting sidetracked into the fix that you can make, which is thicken the liquids. And it's like, okay, yep, we can look at thickening that, but let's have, make sure we've had that conversation. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and yeah, there, we can, there's, there's research, there's literature that shows that intake yeah. declines with thickened liquids. So if you, yep. if you're, if your goal is to keep somebody hydrated, Thickening liquids isn't always the answer. And it is, it's a case by case basis that needs it is. to be approached. But individually. that open, you know, having that open mind to the idea that we need a bigger conversation before we do a quick fix. Yeah. Um, I think if, if we would all be more sensitive to the need to step back every now and then and go, okay, so where are we headed exactly? And is this where we agreed to go or are we just veering down this pathway um, of how many antibiotics can we use? How many mm -hmm. times can we do an aspiration pneumonia mm -hmm. um, before we have to say, okay, pause. Let's, let's pause here. Yeah. And let's talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. Excellent. Um, and then who would we be talking with? Because yes, agree on all that. But like for people who are kind of like, maybe this is kind of new information for them. Who are they talking with? Yeah. So I think one of the things I, I find that we tend to do is talk over the person living with dementia rather than engaging the person. So really making sure that we get a sense of what they're interested. Have we provided them with a thing they like the best and they still don't want it? Are we doing those kind of, we're providing everything we know how we're using hand under hand. We're in an environment that feels comfortable. Mm -hmm. So whenever we're trying to do something with someone, um, having a one-on-one -on -one with that individual, as a professional and then bringing in a family member and talking with them one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. to the side to find out where they are and what they're thinking. Where staff members who might be doing this 24-7 might be. And then considering who all do we need in this conversation to get to a better place? Who do we pull in? Is it a physician? Is it a nurse practitioner? Is it the team as a whole? Um, is it, you know, who needs to be involved in this? And I think all too often we don't think through that very carefully mm -hmm. and we wait too long to start having conversations. Even if somebody says, well, my mom has uh, primary progressive aphasia. So I think a speech consult and we look back and there's been five and mm -hmm. it's like, okay, tell me a little bit more about what's happened on some of these other consults. Well, they, I think they just didn't know what they were doing. And it's like, mm, do we have somebody who's really struggling with this diagnosis and they really need support themselves and it's a little different than just another consult? Um, and, and, you know, primary progressive is just an example. It can be the same with Louis body or anything else. If they're having trouble with communication, I think people want it to be fixed and it's like, yeah, let's work on what skills they are showing us and where their frustration is and where your frustration is. And let's figure out how we're going to put a plan together that deals with your distress. Because mm -hmm. if we don't deal with distress, we can't get to language. Language only happens after distress is, a, is dealt with. 
That's accurate. That's a hundred percent true for me. <laughs> I've got to be calm, cool, collected before I can yeah. even get my I don't know, thought process in order to generate my language and to come up with words or to be able to process what somebody's trying to show me or tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're all upset, then nobody's actually listening yeah. or getting it. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Um, I wondered if you might want to talk a little bit about your inaugural pack conference that's coming up in November. Yeah. Yeah, we're excited about that. We're bringing people from Canada, the U.S. Uh, We may even have somebody from the U.K. coming over or they may come in uh, from a telecourse that we're doing while we're there. Um, And we're all coming together in North Carolina. We'll be doing a play which we demonstrate the difference living with out skill and awareness and living with skill. So in a, a play before the conference starts, we're doing that on Sunday evening. And we did a premiere of it out in California Oh, last year and it was well received. So we're looking forward to doing it with folks in our community, in our world. And then we have um, people coming from all over with presentations and they're sharing what they're doing. And it's people living with dementia and their care partners and programs from Oregon where they're building a program and a community where spouses can live there and have support um, to uh, programs at the VA in Wisconsin that are using PAC to help them reach out and make a difference in their inpatient and outpatient to down in Florida to all, I mean, up to Canada. We have folks coming and sharing what they're doing, but also, um, People will have an opportunity to be in VIP sessions or special sessions where they'll build skills because we're doing skill building sessions. So it's not just about knowledge. It's also about practicing hands-on skill. Excellent. And that's like, that's my jam. <laughs> like I'm all about the learning. I love the learning. But like for yeah. me, if I know I've learned something is when I can do it, when I can practice yeah. it. And, and in that environment where I still have that oversight and I can get that feedback and I like, I get more confidence that yes, I am doing it right. I, <laughs> I've got it. I've, I got yes. it. Yeah. And that's what, that's how they're built. And we actually are going to have some folks living with dementia who've agreed to be um, the, some of the training partners so that oh, people get awesome. a real chance to find out whether or not from the, from the horse's mouth, whether or not that's something that is working for them or not. That's brilliant. Excellent. That's so yeah. good. All right. Um, I was wondering, uh, do you, could you talk a little bit about, um, what might be some of the first steps an SLP could make if they're wanting to really invigorate their practice and make a transition to more of a PACS approach? Yeah, one of the things we have is we have webinars, and that's a real quick, easy sort of get started. And some of them are free, and some of them are, you know, like $20 for a webinar. Um, And then others, we also have what are called skill days. And we're going to be conducting regional skill days in 2020 um, in different parts of the country where it really is come and work on these particular skills and get more comfortable with gems and get more comfortable with your approach and your connections and how you use those skill sets hand under hand. And so we're doing training workshops all over the U S and Canada in 2020, um, as part of also our certification process. And there's a trainer, there's a coach, there's a consultant, and there's an engagement leader are the certifications we offer. But Prior to that, we recommend often people think about building their own pack skills. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you do these things? So when you get in that course, then you're focused on how do you become a trainer with these things? How do you become a coach helping others build skills in these areas? Awesome. Excellent. And of course, all this information is available on your website, which I'll it have a link to in the show notes. But it's also, I, it's just www.tipasnow.com. 
That's it. Yeah. We made it simple because my name's so strange that typically people can remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And it's spelled T-E-E-P-A-S-N-O-W. Just That's in case it. people are too lazy to go look at the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, that was wonderful, Tipa. You are just a fountain of information. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. You I'm are really so grateful. welcome. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you want to... No, I'm actually excited to know that there's interest out there and that it's growing mm -hmm. because we know the numbers are growing. We know we're going to have more young onset than ever if we don't figure out how to help people reduce their own risk and mm -hmm. start taking charge of things to reduce risk. Yes. But the high probability is we're going to see a lot more of this stuff before it goes away. So we're going to need lots of people on board um, that will be willing to make a difference. Excellent. Well, thank you, Tipa. I appreciate it. You are so welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. I just want to thank Tipa Snow for taking the time out to come on this podcast and share her amazing experience and knowledge with us. There's such actionable items that she has and insights that it's just great. So be sure to check out her website. There are dozens of links in the show notes for kind of directing you as you search through her website to really get most the most out of it and um, some of the specific stuff that she talked about in the podcast. So the show notes are on speechuncensored.com. And next week, we're having Sarah Barr back on. And this time, she's going to be talking about functional cognitive therapy. So, you know, kind of throwing out the game closet. Well, what are we left with then? We're not doing worksheets. We're not doing the games in the game closet. What do we do? You guys, stay tuned. She's going to fill us in. And it is fantastic. I've been implementing what she's been teaching me through the podcast. And it is so much helped me. I feel like I'm making better gains with my patients. And I'm enjoying therapy a lot more too because they're getting more out of it. So it's really awesome. Um, please take a moment to review the podcast on iTunes. That would be awesome. And I just want to remind you guys to nourish your brain so that your practice can flourish and you're just nourishing and flourishing all over the place and being awesome because you are. Thanks everyone. I'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>